Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for Zionstone United Church of Christ in Northampton, Pennsylvania. My name is Pastor Mike Landsman, and this podcast is taken from my weekly Sunday sermons. I pray that they'll be a blessing to you, and if you're ever in the area, please stop in and worship with us. We'd love to have you. Thank you for the reading. What a great selection of texts today. Wow. So today is uh, Trinity Sunday, and uh, last year I opened my sermon on Trinity Sunday with this quote, which I think bears repeating, how to combat Trinitarian heresies by abolishing Trinity Sunday, that fateful day on which preachers think they have to explain it. It's a theologian I follow on Twitter. He tweeted, I think, Ben Myers. I did not take that advice last year, actually. Uh, But fortunately, I didn't fall into any uh, dodgy heretical issues. And I know this because afterwards, I sent it to a bunch of my peers. And I said, listen to this and tell me if I said anything wrong. And they all said, no, uh, no, you did fine. And I was like, thank God. But this year, I'm going to take that advice. I'm going to focus instead on a portion of Scripture that we sang portions of this morning already. And uh, what we just heard read from the prophet Isaiah. The reason why I'm focusing on this text this morning is because Isaiah encounters the living God, and he encounters specifically the holiness and the majesty of God, and he is utterly undone and radically changed and transformed by the experience. And what happens to Isaiah, I think, is something that we are called to participate in as well. So Isaiah's vision in our vocation, that's what I'm going to be speaking about today. So in that text, Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8, before we even get into chapter 6, the first five chapters of Isaiah, he's already giving prophetic oracles. He's already there saying, thus saith the Lord. And he's not coming with really good news to God's people. But then after the first five chapters, you hit chapter 6, there's sort of like a break in the action. And he has this experience. And when we look at stories like this in Scripture, we can look back and we can see the story. When you were listening to when when Shane was reading that text from Isaiah 6, it might make you think of, okay, Moses, Ezekiel, other people in Scripture that had Abraham who had these significant times of their lives when God not only showed him something of himself to them, but actually called them for something. These are called call narratives or commission, commissioning narratives. God is calling Isaiah for a purpose. And then it highlights Isaiah's eagerness to obey. And so I think we can generally break up these experiences into three parts. Vision, number one. Number two would be the sign. And then number three would be the task. Vision, sign, and task. So let's talk a little bit about vision. This is kind of the easiest one, right? Because this is the most out there. Isaiah is worshiping in the temple. All of a sudden, it's as if the veil of the curtain of the world is lifted, and he sees the Lord seated high on his, on his heavenly throne. And so we see a couple of things about this. As he sees the Lord lifted high, ancient monarchs, they in this time period, they often sat above, kind of on raised steps, kind of like to highlight, kind of highlight their majesty. We see something else here, too, which is really interesting, that worship in the temple is a mirror of the heavenly worship that's going on all around him. And we see this repeated, brothers and sisters, in Revelation chapter 4. Go back and read it sometime. 
when John, like Isaiah before him, witnesses this heavenly worship. Now notice, Isaac, I, I, I almost called him Isaac. Hey, Isaac, how you doing? Isaiah. <laughs> He does not see God's face directly, right? He sees the Lord seated high and lifted up on his throne, but he doesn't actually see God directly because to see God would be to be undone completely. So we have, it's almost like, and I like to imagine it this way, and I think the symbolism is here. It's almost as if the veil of the most holy place is kind of like parted. And he can see through, right, to the Ark of the Covenant. Because the Ark of the Covenant was generally seen as, this is where Yahweh dwells, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, right? That was considered to be his throne, right? We, we sang about in, in the hymn, uh, the cherubim and then seraphim. On the Ark of the Covenant itself, there were two cherubim with their wings like this, and that was considered to be God's you know, God's throne, where God dwells. It's almost as if Isaiah can see through now, see all of this, this majesty. And it says, the train of the Lord's robe fills the temple. And the seraphim, they're flying around his throne of worship saying, holy, holy, holy. And notice here, they sing back what's called antiphonally, right? Call and what? And response. Call and response. What did we do this morning with our call to worship? I called, and what did you do? You responded. I call, and you responded. That is what the angels are doing around the throne of God. So you might be sitting here thinking, what in the heck are seraphim? And I'm going to say, well, I can tell you without any shadow of a doubt, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, I think there are things we can know. From, the, from what Scripture tells us, and, and ancient Israelites, they weren't the only people that had seraphim in, in sort of their, their theology, but their seraphim were different because in other cultures, the seraphim were kind of represented by like serpents, but we don't really see that among the people of Israel. So the Unger Bible Dictionary says that they're an order of angelic being whose purpose is to act as a medium of communication between heaven and earth and to celebrate God's holiness and power. Uh, there's a, a commentator named Tucker who says that they're attendants around the divine throne. So we kind of know kind of maybe what they do based on how they show up here and in other places. They're attendants that fly around the throne of God. And in response to their singing, what happens? The place shakes and it is filled with smoke. And this mirrors the incense that was offered up before the Lord every day in the temple. They would burn incense before the Lord. And as a seraphim fly around and proclaim how holy God is, how majestic God is, the place shakes and it is filled with actual smoke. The incense, the smoke. And then we see they have six wings. Two cover their faces. Two cover their feet. And two, they're used to fly around. And you might be thinking to yourself, why are the wings covering their faces? So we say, okay, well, the wings are covering their faces probably because just like human beings, no one can gaze upon God and live. Not even the angels. No one can stare at the face of God. And then it says, two cover their feet. And it's possible that the two covering their feet is representative of their concealment from human view. Or it could also possibly be, be a sign of humility, right? That we know that we're imperfect before God, so the imperfect part kind of gets, gets hidden from view in humility. 
And then two are used to fly. So we can say, okay, this is representative of them carrying out God's messages. They're carrying out God's tasks in his service. Now, what happens to Isaiah when he sees this? What happens? He immediately wakes up and writes a best-selling book about I Saw Heaven. Now, <laughs> well, he kind of does a little bit, right? And go on a book tour around. Now, he, he, he is completely changed. Before, he was still prophesying in the name of the Lord, but then after he has this divine commissioning, he's actually sent out by God directly. He cries out in terror. He's like, woe is me. I love that language, that old language no one uses anymore. Woe is me. Has anybody ever, ever used that? I haven't, but I'm, I'm going to look for ways to work that now into regular conversation. But when he has this glimpse of God's majesty, of God's glory, of God's holiness, he says, woe is me. I am undone. Why? Because... He's encountering an infinitely holy God. And when we encounter an infinitely holy and an infinitely majestic and an infinitely loving God, we become very aware of our own shortcomings. We become very aware of our own sinfulness. He's unclean and he knows this and it drives him to confess it. But he also, he doesn't just confess that he is sinful. He also confesses the sinfulness of the people that he's part of the very people that he was prophesying to. That's the vision. Now we have the sign. So what's amazing about all of this, that the seraphim see him, and they hear him, and they take notice of his presence. So in response, what do they do? They're like, get out of here, buddy, and they kind of drop kick him out of the, out of the temple, and he goes sailing, and he lands into the Jordan River, and he's like, wow, that was wild. No, it doesn't happen that way. The seraphim see him, they acknowledge him, and then they do something crazy. So there's an altar, and the seraphim takes a tongue before the altar of the Lord, and he takes the coal, and what does he do? He flies over to Isaiah, and he's like, I'm going to put this on your face. Don't, don't move. <laughs> he takes the coal, and he touches it to Isaiah's lips, and he says... Your sins have been atoned for. Your sins have been atoned for. Fire in Scripture generally signifies purification. So as the seraphim touches the coal to Isaiah's lips, Isaiah's guilt and his sin are atoned for, and they are removed. That purifying fire of the altar before God. So he has this encounter. He realizes his sinfulness in the, in the light of an infinitely holy, majestic, and loving God. And then his sin is forgiven. It is atoned for. It is removed. That's the sign. And then the third thing is the task. I heard the Lord say, who will go for us? Now this is what directs this passage to us on Trinity Sunday. Right, so ancient readers in the Old Testament may have associated this concept with what's called the divine council. We see this in, I think, Psalm 82. It says, God stands amongst the gods, the lesser G's. But Christians, in the light of Jesus, are reading this in a different way, and they say this is a reference, an early reference in the Old Testament to the Trinity, to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. 
They are saying, who will go for us? There is a task to be done. Who is going to do it? Now that Isaiah has been purified, he's now able to hear and to receive from God. And so he says in Hebrew, Hineni, which is what Samuel said when God appears to Samuel. It says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel responds, Hineni, here I am. Abraham as well, Hineni, here I am in Hebrew. Isaiah says, Hineni, here I am. Send me. Send me. And then God says, okay, are you sure? And then he does. Then he tasks Isaiah with Isaiah's mission. And it's not, a, it's not a fun mission, brothers and sisters. God says, I am going to send you to people who aren't going to listen to a word you have to say. Go read it. Look it up real fast in your Bibles, Isaiah chapter 6. He says, okay, I'm going to send you, but I'm going to send you to a people whose hearts are not going to hear, their ears aren't going to hear, they're not going to be able to receive anything from you, they're not going to listen to you, but you're going to go to them anyway, and you're going to tell them everything that I'm telling you to say to them. And once that happens to Isaiah, Isaiah doesn't say, well, God, when you put it that way, that's a little difficult. I'm good. I think I'm just going to go back. Can I just, like, can you make the vision go away and just let me stand out in the temple and just worship and mind my own business and all the other stuff that I was doing before? Maybe I won't do that anymore. Maybe I'll go farm or something. Isaiah doesn't say, how do I get out of this? Isaiah does it. He goes knowing that the people aren't going to listen to him, knowing that the people are going to refuse to listen to what he has to say, knowing that the kings that he's called to prophesy to are going to say, you don't know what you're talking about. I'm going to listen to all of these other prophets. All of these other prophets are telling me everything that I want to hear, that I'm awesome, that I'm wonderful, that God is with us, that God is going to be with us as we, as we worship idols and as we, we fight in all these battles. Isaiah's like, no way, bro. Like, Babylon is coming. You're going to be taken away into captivity. It's kind of the same nowadays, right? God sends us prophets in different ways, in different places. He sends people to us to tell us things, and we don't want to hear them sometimes. And God gives them a difficult task. No one's going to believe you. Go anyway. Isaiah says, here I am. Send me. This is such a powerful text, brothers and sisters. And there's so many different ways that we could, we could walk through it. But what I'm going to do today is I'm going to highlight how Isaiah's vision is our vocation as Christians. How what Isaiah saw shapes who we are and how we live our lives in the world. So vision, this is the encounter, right, that Isaiah has. And this is generally also the pattern of Christian worship. We encounter God ourselves through when we come here to worship, through the service, through the call to worship and singing hymns. This is our initial entrance into heavenly worship that's going on invisibly all around us in heaven. And then once we have that encounter with God, like we sang in that first hymn, holy, holy, holy are you, O Lord. Once we have that encounter with God, we, are, we realize our guilt, we realize our unworthiness, we realize our sinfulness in the light of a holy and utterly loving God. We realize our shortcomings, we realize the things that we've done wrong this past week. And just as Isaiah was moved to say, woe is me, I am an unclean man with unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people with unclean lips, that drives us to confess our sins too. That's why we do that on a Sunday. Not because to pad the service to give us something to do, 
right? We come together corporately to confess our sins together as a group and then privately as individuals before the Lord. But we trust that just as the angel took that coal from that altar and touched Isaiah's lips, that God has cleansed us through his son and through his indwelling spirit. And the sign, like Isaiah's sign, the coal from the altar, we are also granted a sign. And we can interpret this in several ways. We can interpret this as Christ's sacrifice on the cross. So we can look to the cross as the sign of God's atoning work through Jesus. We can also look at the Lord's table as the sign that God has forgiven us as we mystically feed on the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion. That is also a sign. You know, we even say during Holy Spirit, I, we ask that the Holy Spirit would may these gifts be to those who partake of them for the purification of soul, for the forgiveness of sins, for communion of the Holy Spirit. And all of you pray, make me worthy to partake unto the remission of my sins and unto life everlasting. We don't just do things just to do them. There's significance, brothers and sisters, to what we do here. And God has given us signs. We have the waters of baptism is also another sign. But we have, God gives us these signs that he has forgiven us. And then we move through to task. And I don't know if you've noticed this, and I love how some of these readings work together so often, but a lot of the readings that we've talked about so far over the past few months, a lot of them have this aspect of task to them. And I hope you've, I hope you've noticed that, that God has given us something to do not only just as individuals, but as, as a church. We have been tasked with a mission. Once we've been purified, we can hear God. We can see God. We can be aware of what he asks us to do. And then we then can respond when we hear God speak. We can say, not only as individuals, but as a church, we can say, here I am. Send me. Send me. So what I would say, brothers and sisters, this week... As we have a lot of things starting to go on, as we, we take part in the, in the Covered Bridge Festival, as we move into the Peach Festival, what I'd love for you to do, and this isn't just a sermon to say, how can we get maximum volunteers for the Peach Festival? Here I am, send me, you know. Real ways, right, that we can do what God has called us to do how we can figure out what's the next step of what God's calling us to do. What is God asking us to do as a church? What task has he given us at this time for this community? As we come together and worship, we can then start to hear that. We can start to discern that, and then we can then start doing that. And I would say not even just as a church, corporately, but also individually, brothers and sisters, as the people of God gathered here. To whom is God calling you to speak to? Even if the people that you go to talk to, even if as a church, even as individuals, the people that we go to, even if they don't hear a word you have to say, even if they say, I don't care about this God stuff, I don't care about this Jesus stuff, leave me alone. You know what? That's okay. That's okay. Right? Don't cry. That wasn't a bad thing, Isaac. Or Hadley, sorry. People will not listen to us, but we cannot let the fear of people not listening to us, we can't let that stop us from doing what God's asked us to do. That the holiness of God, the majesty of God, that the love of God that we've experienced, that has changed our lives and that continues to change our life, 
whenever we come to worship here and in our homes, what God has done for us, how can we not share that with other people? And that is our task. Even if they don't listen to us, even if they say, you're dumb, you're crazy, this God stuff works for you, religion is just a crutch, it's just something that you use as an opiate, it doesn't have any... How can we not say the things that God has done for us? How can we look back on our lives from who we were to where we are now and say, some of you might even say, the only reason why I'm even still alive is because I met the Lord. How many, how many people, there might be some. You don't have to raise your hand if you don't want to. But you may, not have, you may not even be here if it wasn't for a God, for you encountering the risen Christ and experiencing that love. And if we experience that love, if God has literally saved our lives well, he saved all of our lives, right? Spiritually, but physically as well. But how can we not tell people about what God has done for us? How can we not tell people how God has, has led us and guided us and transformed us as we've heard his word, as we've obeyed his call, as we've been forgiven? Let us, let us partner up like Isaiah did with God. May Isaiah's vision of God May that be our vocation, brothers and sisters, as his people. And so to, our, so to the Holy Trinity, revealed to us in Scripture, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be all glory together forever. Amen. Thank you for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. You know, our church has deep roots here in the community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a church that is biblically faithful and traditionally grounded, come visit us. We may just be the church for you. You can find us online, zionsstoneucc.com. You can find us on Facebook as well, zionsstoneucc. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman. If you'd like to send me an email, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Once again, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. May God bless you. Have you visit us?